Let me pray for us, and then we'll get started in the Word. We need to see you, Christ. We need to hear you. We need to know you. And so we appeal to you now that your Spirit will awaken our hearts. Give us spiritual vision, spiritual ears, and a spiritual heart that will beat in greater cadence with your glory and praise through the opening up, reading, and preaching of your precious Word. In Christ's holy name, amen. In his chapter titled, The Fog of War and the Law of Sin, Dave Harvey has written this. July 21st, 1861. The first major battle of the Civil War started before dawn. The roar of artillery seemed to awaken everyone in Virginia as the Union and Confederate armies clashed among the farms by a stream called Bull Run. But a strange thing happened as the battle intensified. Hundreds of Washingtonians, senators, representatives, government workers, and their families, all dressed in leisure apparel and carrying picnic baskets, raced to the hill near Manassas to watch the battle unfold. Armed with opera glasses to survey the fighting, they chatted amicably as men were slaughtered on the fields below. One northern sympathizer commented, that is splendid. Oh my, is, is that not first rate? I guess we will be in Richmond this time tomorrow. Spirits were high. Toasts were raised. All in all, they thought it a superb way to spend a summer afternoon. Suddenly, a rebel counterattack led by a hard-charging cavalry swept over the Union flank, putting the army to flight. Even to untrained eyes, the implications were obvious. The serene picnic ground was about to become a battle zone. Mass confusion erupted as the spectators fled just moments before the Confederate wave washed over the hill. The entertainment was over. The battle was upon them. The picnickers discovered something about war that day. You can't be close to it and safe from it at the same time. Only the naive think they can stand on the sidelines of warfare and merely be entertained. When war enters the scene, everything it touches becomes a battlefield. Now I'm not... I'm not given to hyperbole or exaggeration. Those of you who know me well know that. Either inside the pulpit or out, I generally try to tell it like it is. And so when I say this, I want you to take me seriously. Life is war. The gospel life is most definitely war. And it, it's a battle that rages every day. And when you make the decision to become a Christian which is a decision to join the church of Jesus Christ, this is what you do. You make a decision to enter a battle scene. And, and there is a sense in which I feel like I need to tell you, either get in the battle or get out of the way. 
There aren't any safe bystanders in the war between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. There are no safe bystanders. But if you make the decision to get out of the way, you are by de facto making a decision to fight for the kingdom of darkness. And so my admonition today is to get in the battle. Because life is war. And nobody knew that more than the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul would say those very words. Now, in Philippians chapter 1, really chapter uh, verses 12 all the way down through 30 is really this one big section. And he, he gives this report and he says, listen, I'm rejoicing in the midst of my suffering for one major reason. The gospel of Jesus Christ is being advanced. It's going forward. Yes, I'm suffering. Absolutely. But people are preaching Christ. Some out of goodwill, some out of greedy will. But nevertheless, that message is going forward and people can be saved and they are being saved. Even those who would be my enemies are coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Roman imperial guards and their families are putting their faith in Jesus as they watch my testimony of faith in Him. And so I'm glad and I rejoice at this very thing. And then he gives a testimony. He says, I have an intense love for the person of Jesus Christ and an intentional labor for the people of Jesus Christ. And if you look down, if you have your Bibles open... He says in verse 20, he says, this is my goal, that Christ will be honored, that He will be magnified. We said last week, megaluno, that He will be magnified, that He will be seen as great and glorious and awesome in my body, whether I live or whether I, what? Whether I die. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What we said last week is that this is Paul's testimony and then he says, this is the whole deal for me. I am hard-pressed because I want to depart and go be with Christ so that I can see Him and behold Him just like, just like Ben was praying earlier that we can long to be able to, to put our eyes on this glorious Savior. But at the same time, I'm between a rock and a hard place because I want to stay here and labor for your good so that you can know Christ, love Christ, enjoy Christ, preach, preach Christ, and live for Christ. That's what I want out of your life too. And so I'm hard-pressed. He says, but I'm going to remain. Because I know that will prove to be fruitful labor for you so that you can have joy of faith, so that you can have the same passion that I have. And that leads us right into verse 27. And he says, only, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you. I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their salvation, I mean, of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Engaged in the same conflict you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Now, Paul transitions from testimony to instruction. From testimony 
to exhortation. This is what's most important to me, the gospel. This is what I'm fired up about, the advancement of the gospel. I'm confident. I'm comforted. I'm excited. I, I, I'm, I'm given testimony of that, that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, but it's not just about me, and it's not just for me, and it's not just a God's lot for me and my life. No, it is also for your life, church. And so he turns the table and he points the spotlight on them as it were. And he says, this is what I want to see out of you. And so he gives an exhortation. And so there are really three aspects. You can put these three aspects of this passage up. It's the instruction to live worthy of the gospel of Christ. It is the explanation of how to live worthy of the gospel of Christ and the outcome of living worthy for the gospel of Christ. So let's walk through the passage and let's, let's capture the heart of Paul. He says, only, only, does anybody in here have the Holman Christian Standard Bible that they're reading? I know that's very unlikely. Oh, you do? Okay, great. Are you looking down at it? Oh, man. All right. So, um, it, it says in the Holman Christian Standard Bible, just one thing. Just one thing. And that's the, that captures the, the, the essence. That's what he's saying. Just one thing. Thing, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is the banner that hangs over not only this text, but the, literally the next 25 or so verses. Just one thing. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. If I were to tell you the word order in the original, it is just one thing. Worthy of the gospel of Christ, let your manner of life be. Worthy of the gospel of Christ, let your manner of life be. I want to tell you one more thing about what Paul is saying. This verb, let your manner of life be, is a verb that really, it's where we get our word politics. It's where we get our word really city. It, it, it means let your citizenship be. Let, let your citizenship be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So, well, what do you mean, Paul? And so the Philippians are sitting up here in Macedonia. Their, their entire city has been created to be a microcosm of Rome. And so all of these, these Philippian veterans, I'm sorry, these Roman veterans, these army men, these soldiers, these generals, they've gone to Philippi and they've created this small version of Rome. And so they are significant patriots to Rome. And Paul writes to these Philippian Christians in this little Rome city, and he says only, just one thing, let your citizenship be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so just like Americans today, and just like American Christians today, they were tempted to think of their citizenship as belonging to the here and now. In the, in the land in which they lived. And what Paul is saying, no, I'm not talking about that citizenship. I'm talking about your citizenship in heaven. I'm talking about where your real allegiances belong. I'm talking about where your real heart belongs. And the reason I know that he's talking about that, if you have an open Bible, turn over to chapter 3. Look at chapter 3, verse 20. And he says, our citizenship, same concept, our citizenship is in where? In heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so he's saying, only let your manner of life, only let the way that you live as a citizen of heaven be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so, as I was seeking to, to meditate on and memorize this passage this week, I had to be thinking about what really does he mean by worthy? And so, I think that the hand motions uh, that would go along with this is, is only, only let your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Only let your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. In other words, let it be congruent with the gospel of Christ. Let it correspond to the gospel of Christ. Let the, let the, the content and the quality of the gospel of Christ dictate and determine the content and the quality of your life. Let those two things be congruent. Now, most of us have good gospel theology right here, but let me remind you, he's not saying try to live up to the standards so that you can please God for salvation. No, he's saying you've received salvation. You've been born again by a living hope. He's made you alive. You were dead. He's made you alive. Now because you have the Spirit of Christ that raised Jesus from the dead, you now can live up to both the quality and the content of the nature of the gospel. So in other words, what is the gospel about? The gospel is about a Savior who has come to redeem you from your sins, to give you real life, to give you real hope, to give you real purpose, to give you real wisdom, to give you real joy. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, live up to that in the power of Christ. Let your life correspond with this glorious gospel, both in content and quality. So this, uh, that's the major instruction. And so church, I just want to echo, I want to echo Paul's words. I want to say, Christians, let your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let the quality of your life and the content of your life match this glorious gospel message that brings you salvation. But then he explains how to do that. He says, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit and with one mind, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Look down at the text, because what you see, if we're asking the question, so how do we live the worthy life, Paul? How do we live a life that matches the quantity, or the quality and the content of the gospel? This is what he would say. He'd say, first, stand. Second, strive. Third, be fearless. Now, how many spirits are we to stand firm in? One. And with how many minds are we to strive side by side with? One. You see, there is a togetherness that, that Paul wants us to understand. There is a unity that Paul wants us to understand that you cannot live the Christian life isolated. You cannot live the Christian life independent. It has to be together. It has to be harmonious. It has to be one. Look, your, look down at the text again because I wanted you to see a couple of things. He says, no matter whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I want to hear this of you, that you're standing firm in one spirit. That concept of standing firm right there is a military term. 
It means to dig in with your fellow soldiers and to stand firm against opposition. To not budge. No matter what kind of opposition comes forcefully at you, you're not going to tuck tail and run. You're going to stand. And he says, stand firm in one spirit. Every way, everywhere in the New Testament that this phraseology is used, it is describing the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The ESV doesn't correspond to that, has a lowercase s, but, but he's referring to the Holy Spirit. And so whether it's, it's Abigail Amaya or Jamie Limbaugh or Daniel Brown, and they're all together, they're standing, heels dug into the ground together side by side because they share one common reality in their life. And what is it? The Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. And so he's saying stand in that one Spirit side by side. And then he says with one mind. Now he uses an athletic term. Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That word striving has the idea of like the gladiator games. It actually, in the original, it's where we get our word athletic. Athleticism. All right? And so he's saying strive, work together. And it, you know, I've seen enough Roman Empire movies, whether it be the gladiator games or something, you know, some of this stuff on History Channel, but they would take these slaves, they would take indentured servants, they would take people that they had captured off in wars, and they would turn them into gladiators, right? So they would fight the, the Romans. And if those indentured servants and those former soldiers that had been captured, if they had any shot at all inside the stadium, they had to work together, did they not? And oftentimes, if they would not work together, it was every man for himself that made for a very quick gladiator game. But when they linked arms together, instead of just being scared and, and, and just kind of just doing nothing, they said, you know what, we're going to take the bull by the horns and we're going to strive together and we're going to start trying to take them out one by one together as a team. Side by side, arms linked, moving in one direction. That's the image that's the image that Paul wants us to understand. That we strive together, side by side, arms linked, for what? what is our, what's our goal? Are we trying to kill people? No. What are, we, what are we doing? What are we doing? For the faith of the gospel. For the faith of the gospel. We're moving forward, not in, not in some type of violent term, but in a term of love and grace and mercy that people may know the salvation of the Lord. And then, and then he says and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a very unique word. It's not used very much in Greek literature, but when it's used, it's often describing horses that get spooked immediately, and they jump up, and they then have a stampede. I called Jamie last night as I was meditating on this passage because I remembered something that happened to her. She was taking... She was taking uh, some feed, where you feed, going down to the barn to feed. And so the horses, all the horses back when we had those, were up at the gate. And she passed by the horses. She opened the gate, passed by the horse, and was walking to the barn. Their attention was caught over on the other side of the, the road, uh, I think, at, a, at another barn. And all of a sudden, there was a, a noise. And it spooked the horses, every one of them. They raised up, reared up, and turned around and stampeded Jamie literally ran over her. She had a big old huge thing on her leg that just came up on the, on the side of it. And uh, she said, Brian, how long do you think that's going to be there? I said, probably about six weeks. Six years later, still there. Um, 
But it was really bad. It was scary. I mean, it was awful. And I asked Jamie after you know, we took care of her and everything, what was it that spooked them? She said, Ryan, I think it could have been a bird flying by. She said, it was really nothing. Just a noise. And listen, church. When we are tempted to be fearful and frightened and spooked, we need to understand that no matter what forces come up against us, no matter whether it's a neighbor who shuts their door in our face because we testify of Christ, no matter whether it's an authority who comes and says, you can't be handing out those tracts, or whether it's somebody that we love and care for that we're trying to share the gospel with, a family member, a sister, a brother, and they say, I don't want to hear any more of that. I want to tell you something. That's nothing but a bird flying by. That's nothing. We possess the power of Christ. We possess the message of salvation. Don't let anything spook you. Don't let anything frighten you. You have Christ on your side. And with Christ on your side, you have everything that you need. Jamie, I hate to use you as an illustration like that. That was uh, uh, probably not the kindest thing, but it does give, it gives the point. It gives the point. Yeah, that's right. When we're spooked, we act senseless. That's right. Okay, so, so he says, not frightened in anything by your opponents. And he says, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. This is what he's saying. When you demonstrate love and persistent zealousness to see people come to Christ, and you persevere in the preaching of Christ and living for Christ and holding up the holiness of Christ, and people are at you for that, and they are trying to not only ridicule you, but they are trying to hurt you, and they are trying to hush you and silence you and, and even crush you, then what this is is like a huge billboard. And all it is is a sign, it's a symbol that's saying, you don't know God, you're excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, you're going to hell, and they know God, they have salvation, and they know my love. That, that's all it is. Now that sounds stark, that sounds... That even sounds harsh. But whenever somebody opposes the glory of Christ and they are in opposition to the people of Christ, they are showing themselves to be on the way to eternal destruction. And when you stand for Christ, and when you speak for Christ, and when you live for Christ, you are proving not only to yourself and to the church, but to the world that you belong to Him, that you have salvation. And so you should continue to persist in that. It's Paul's explanation there. And he says, here's the outcome. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Engaged in the same conflict you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Church, what is the outcome of living worthy of the gospel of Christ? In one word. Suffering. Suffering is the outcome of living worthy of the gospel of Christ. I'm going to say it again. Suffering is the outcome of living worthy of the gospel of Christ. And, and like, what? Are, seriously? Like, that, that, does that really make sense? And Paul would say, it doesn't make sense to the wisdom of this world, but it makes perfect sense to the wisdom of God. Because when you suffer for the sake of Christ, what are you doing? You're saying, 
I'm joining in with Christ who suffered for me, who bled for me, who died for me. I'm putting my lot in, in with Him. I'm casting myself in with Him. And I want to know the fellowship of His sufferings, like Paul said in chapter 3. I want to know Him. I want to enjoy Him. And to be able to know Him and enjoy Him, I want to suffer alongside with Him. And when I suffer alongside of Jesus Christ, I am proving myself to belong to Him. And God is proving that He wants me in His family and that He's going to use me in His family to suffer for His sake. It is very, it's a very almost antithetical thought if you're not looking at it with gospel lens. Isaiah and I were talking before the service today. And he basically said, Pastor Ryan, uh, is it true that those who suffer for Christ know Christ better? And I said, I believe from Scripture I can unequivocally say that those who suffer for Christ know Christ better. And I think that's why Paul talked about in Colossians that he's filling up the afflictions of Christ. And that as he suffers, he wants to know more of Christ and so he's willing to suffer and even desires to suffer. And how is that? Because if you suffer for Christ, then you know more the sufficiency of Christ. If you suffer for Christ, you know the faithfulness of Christ. If you suffer for Christ, you know the fellowship of His sufferings for the glory of Christ. You get to enter into things that you never would enter into if you're just living in suburban America, living a very nice, comfortable, air-conditioned life. I uh, was reading in Kent Hughes this week, and he gives a story of a man by the name of Mehdi Dabaj. In 1984, he was imprisoned by the government of Iran on charges of apostasy because he converted from Islam to Christianity. He languished in prison for 10 years until they tried his case in 1994. And so he converts from Islam to Christianity and they throw him in prison for 10 years and he finally goes up to, uh, to face, face the charges. And this is what he wrote in the very last lines of his defense. Jesus Christ is our Savior and He is the Son of God. To know Him means to know eternal life. I, a useless sinner, have believed in His beloved person and all His words and miracles recorded in the Gospel, and I have committed my life into His hands. Life for me is an opportunity to serve Him, and death is a better opportunity to be with Christ. Does that sound familiar to you? Wow. Therefore... I am not only satisfied to be in prison for the honor of His holy name, but am ready to give my life for the sake of Jesus my Lord. He was sentenced to execution, but then was released under pressure from the United States government. And then he was found dead in a Tehran park. The third Christian murdered in Iran after their release from prison. His measured conduct as he calmly stood his ground for the gospel was a sure sign of his enemy's judgment and his own salvation. And so I want to give you the big idea this morning. The big idea is battle together for the gospel of Christ with courage. Knowing that God has graced you to suffer for His glory. Battle together for the gospel of Christ with courage. Knowing that God has graced you to suffer 
for His glory. Get in the battle. Link arms together. Do it for the gospel. Be fearless in it. Because you are confident that God has graced you to suffer for His glory. That is one thing that I I just did not say. Look back up at verse 29. You've got to know this. Verse 29 says, For it has been granted to you. It has been granted to you. Granted to you. David and Misty, why did you name your daughter Karis? It means grace, doesn't it? It means grace. Unmerited favor. A gift of God. That word granted right there? Charisomai. Charizomai, technically. It is grace for you to suffer for the cause of Christ. That you get to be mentioned with Christ to suffer for His gospel. It's a gift. And so whenever you suffer, no matter in what form, it's God's grace that you might be counted worthy to be mentioned in the same breath of your Savior. So I want to give you some, I want to give you some applications here. The very first application that I want to encourage you, exhort you with, is battle together for the gospel of Christ. Battle together for the gospel of Christ. I want to first say under this, and you don't have to write these kind of these subways to do this, but just meditate on it maybe. Battle for gospel doctrine. Battle for gospel doctrine. Church, yesterday I was listening to like this breakout session of a conference and they were citing how the White Horse Inn, some of you are familiar with White Horse Inn, it's a radio program, Michael Horton, a good gospel guy. The White Horse Inn went to a Christian publishing conference. In other words, all the publishers who publish Christian books, and there were hundreds of people there, and they interviewed 60 of these people who work for these Christian publishers, and they asked the question as they went by booth by booth, what is the gospel? And the answers that they gave were, well, it's, it's a message that God loves me. What's the gospel? Well, it tells me that whatever I'm going through, God's going to be for me. What is the gospel? Well, it just tells me that, he want, that God wants me to succeed. What is the gospel? It's peace. These are Christian publishers answering the question, what is the gospel? And they can't answer the question, what is the gospel? Because they don't know it. The gospel is the good news of salvation for hell-deserving sinners through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And church, I want to tell you, be courageous together. Have courage together for gospel doctrine because if you lose gospel doctrine, you can't be good at anything else that He's calling you to in here. You've got to know the truth. You've got to let the truth sink deep, deep down into your heart, deep down into your mind so that you know the truth because if you're guided by anything but the, but the truth, you will end in the wrong destination. Okay, so battle for gospel doctrine and then at the very same time, battle for gospel hearts. Battle for gospel hearts. What do I mean by that? I mean, you can know the doctrine, but if you don't absorb it into the, the fabric of who you are, that it becomes what you long for, what you think about, what you desire, what you meditate on, then what will happen is, is there will be a, 
a discrepancy between what you believe and how you live. And that discrepancy happens is because you don't absorb what you believe down into your heart so that it shapes your whole thinking, your whole life, your whole desires. And so, just like you, I've had many conversations with people who believe all the right things, but you don't, it doesn't correspond. The content and quality of their life is not corresponding. Why? Because they're not worried about their hearts, their inner lives. And so I just want to say, take what you believe about gospel doctrine and absorb it down into your heart and into your mind. Battle for gospel hearts. Battle for gospel relationships. You and I have both been a part of churches where there are relationships. Many of them good relationships and kind relationships and, and enjoyable relationships, but the relationships are not gospel relationships. They're relationships built on other things. <laughs> Athletics, business, hobbies, um, other things. And so, while you may have the gospel in common, the relationship is not built on the gospel. And Paul would say, build your relationships on the gospel. Battle for gospel relationships. Battle for gospel friendships. Battle for gospel marriages. Battle for gospel families. Battle for gospel partnerships. Battle hard for them. Get past the uncomfortable stage of talking about Jesus in a, a friendship between children. I mean, Abigail, you should have conversations with other kids who you know love Jesus about Jesus. They try to press that. It's uncomfortable. But try to do that as you're seeking to love the Lord and battle with courage for the gospel. Battle for gospel relationships. Battle for gospel words and deeds. Battle for gospel words and deeds. And let the gospel absorb in your heart and your mind so that you know it and then use it as the language of your lips so that people can be blessed and encouraged. So battle for the gospel of Christ. The second application is stand together for the gospel of Christ. Stand together for the gospel of Christ. Dig your heels in. Let those spikes go down in the dirt. Linked arms with others. Be together for the gospel of Christ. Communicate together for the gospel of Christ and arm yourselves for, together for the gospel of Christ. So, church, when, when you hear this, this concept of military language and Paul says, stand, what other passage in the Pauline epistles do you think about? Ephesians 6, exactly. And so this would be my encouragement to you as Christians. Stand together in the gospel of Christ by putting on the helmet of salvation, by putting on the breastplate of His righteousness, by strapping on the belt of truth, by putting on the shoes of the gospel, by taking up that shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and an entire spirit of prayerfulness together. Do it together. Have everybody with their armor on, prayers going up, linked arms, and say, we're going to stand in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we would, of course, if we had time, we would meditate on those elements, but stand together. The third application is strive together for the gospel of Christ. Strive. Now, this is a very important one that I want you to meditate on how you can do this. All right, so I've got join with each other in gospel prayers, join with each other in gospel preaching, join with each other in gospel love. Join with each other in gospel prayers, gospel preaching, and gospel love as you seek to take the gospel out to the community, region, and world. 
All right, so, so Isaiah, you are still going to Texas to To Every Tribe next weekend? All right, so Isaiah, if we're going to strive with you together with the look of potentially looking at To Every Tribe as a potential outfit that you might go on the mission field with, potentially, how could we strive together with you moving forward over the next week and a half or so? So we need to be praying for Isaiah specifically for wisdom and for insight moving forward for gospel mission. Ryan, you started your, your jail ministry last week. Are you texting me? We texted back and forth. How can we strive together linked arms and arms with you in the, in the jail ministry? Would it upset you, Ryan, if somebody went with you one night? No, absolutely not. I didn't think so. <laughs> I didn't think so. Amen. All right. Lauren, where are you? You in here? Is Lauren Haynes in here? Lauren, how, how can we strive together with you for the gospel's sake? I had no idea you had laryngitis. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's good. And, and then there are a myriad of you who are trying to, to advance the gospel at your workplace and in your home. And we need to know how to walk with you and how to strive with you so that we're on the same team, rowing in the same direction for the same purpose. And so the only way for us to do that, Ron, the only way for me and you to strive together is we've got to know each other. You've got to share with me your passions to strive, and my, I've got to share with you my passions to strive, and then we link arms together, and we text together, and we talk together, and sometimes we're even in the same presence together, working together in that same direction. That's the only way we can strive together, praying, serving, working, laboring. All right, I'm just going to say these last two, and, and uh, we'll close. Be fearless together for the gospel of Christ. Be fearless together for the gospel of Christ. Like, what's the worst thing that somebody can do to you? They kill you. They kill you. Now, for some of you, that just absolutely scares you to death. All right? But if you take on the mindset of Paul, to die is what? Gain. To die is gain. Church, I'm just going to tell you, I, I personally, 
There, there's not a room that I walk into. I don't care whether it's a group of successful businessmen or a success, successful coaches or angry parents or whatever the case. There's not a room that I walk into that I'm, I'm intimidated. Why? Why? Why am I not intimidated? I've got the gospel of Christ. Like, what can they do to me? What could they possibly do to me to take what's most important away from me? I could go in a room of the most most intimidating, successful preachers who I really hold in high regard. Now, I might be intimidated preaching before them, but I'm not going to be intimidated representing Jesus Christ before them. Why? They can't take anything away from me because Christ is most precious to me. Right? Mark? Yeah. That's right. That's right. The, the, um, I, read, I read last night a few chapters, one of which was Satan's devices to take the church down. And it was that very thing. Satan, had, he is a very smart individual. And if he can convince the church to be separate, if he can convince the church to be isolated... If he can convince the church to do their own things in their own times and not to link arms together, you know what he's saying? Victory. 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 And so that's good. Very good insight right there. And let me just say the last thing. Suffer together for the gospel of Christ. Suffer together for the gospel of Christ. Suffering is grace. Suffering is a sign you know Him. Suffering is a means to know Him better. Suffering is the pathway to heaven. Let me pray for us, and then we'll come up and close. Father, thank You for this text. We pray, in the name of Jesus, that You will give us gospel courage to stand, to strive, to be fearless, and to suffer for the name and the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In His name I pray. Amen.